Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today we're talking with Ken Honda, straight from Tokyo, Japan. Perhaps one of the most sincere people I've ever met. This is a guy, if you buy a ticket to one of his events, and for any reason you don't show up, he will call you and give you your money back. Even if you don't want your money back. He sold over 8 million copies of his books. 8 million copies, including Happy Money, the Japanese art of making peace with your money. And he will teach you today, as he taught me, one simple trick that may change your entire relationship with money forever. You'll want to use it. Your spouse will want to use it. And you'll want to teach it to your kids. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. So this is very much an honor to have you here. Thank you. You're a worldwide well-known author. <laughs> I'm so happy to share my thoughts. And um, thank you for sharing this great opportunity. And can I call you Wes? Oh. Please do. Yes. Call me okay. Wes. Yep. Okay. And, and uh, do people call you Ken? Yeah. Yeah. So it, that's easy. And is that the abbreviation of uh, um, some some names that I, that I don't know? Wes? It would be. So the full one is Wesley. Oh, Wesley. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's Wesley. Okay. It's uh, when I was mm-hmm. young, I wanted people to call me Wesley, so I seemed older. Mm-hmm. And when I'm older now, I want people to call me Wes to seem younger. <laughs> okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I'm learning. Still learning in the names, and I'm very interested in uh, how names come from. Your parents name you, or and also ethnicity. You know, like f- comes from. Um, Europe or Argentina or China, you know, so I'm fascinated with that. You know, I, I will be, I'm so, so with you on that. I like the thought that the Cooper, it was that maybe a Cooper Smith made barrels. And, and now the name, I always think when you hear the name Cooper, it's like, oh, they're great. great their ancestors made barrels. That's amazing. <laughs> what would yeah. you say for our producer here? His name is Ryan Doolittle. Mm. <laughs> do little. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what his ancestors were doing. Not much. <laughs> or had a very good sense of humor. And it would explain it because he is a comedian and uh-huh. he actually does a lot. So we call him right. we call him Ryan do the most, even though his yeah, name is yeah, do little. Yeah. <laughs> Overachiever must have had a good sense of humor. Just, you know, oh, I'm just I'm doing so little. Maybe Mr. Humble. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I, what I know about your story, obviously the author of Happy Money, and it's an essay mm-hmm. you wrote many, many years ago. And it basically- I lost, it, I lost track of uh, how many books I wrote. Yeah, and, it, and it's created a, mm-hmm. a phenomenon. Happy Money, the Japanese art of making peace with your money. And I, it's such a, I think the reason it's done so well is that everyone on any income scale could can use that, right? It, it feels like we can all be better at coming to peace with something that is such a, really a volatile, emotional asset, right? So we're the Retire Sooner podcast. Part mm-hmm. of the focus here is about people getting to a point where they're able to stop working. But we also do a ton of research on our team and have written a lot about the habits of happy versus unhappy retirees. So mm-hmm. you're intersecting at the very nexus of everything we care about here on Retire Sooner. So it's a really, I think it's such a great fit. So I'm so excited to hear from you. Yeah. You're all the way in Japan. You get to, you okay. can ask me the first question if you want. And then, and then I've got <laughs> well, about 40 for you. I, I'm all yours. And, uh, um, and the fact that I retired at the age 29 for four years, 
uh, gave me the understanding of what it's like to be retired. You know, um, I didn't wait till I, I hit sixty, uh, and uh, I wanted to experience uh, what's like to be retired when you were young. So I did that for four years, four full years of changing diapers, you know, do nothing, and that was re really good. And I'm 55, so five years into a retirement age, and I feel like, no way, I, I want to do so much more. <laughs> so I may retire a little later. That's my where I am now. Ken, I was, I'm reminded as we're talking now is that there, is there a word... I remember reading something about how in the Japanese language, there is no word for retirement because people in Japan, people don't necessarily believe in the thought of stopping working. Is that true? Or is that like a, is that an urban legend? Yeah, of course there is a, a word, you know, retirement is intai, but like um, many athletes, um, Japanese people, ideal life is keep working. And then you're in hit your sixties and seventies but you keep working and then on that day, uh, you drop. You know, it's not like, uh, I think it, uh, our work ethics is a little bit different. So Wait, a lot say of that again. So you're saying it is an ideal picture for people to work and then die? Yeah, because that means that uh, if you can find so much love in your work mm -hmm. and then you don't mind doing that instead of just playing golf or just staying at home watching television, that's called ikigai. That means Ikigai. that gives you a sense of purpose. So um, retire early is not uh, really a respected thing. So no I wonder my books have been sold in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> no one yeah, so in I, Japan listens to retire sooner. I, 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 but I don't think so because there's this uh, fire movement here too. Mm. A lot of young people are against the idea. I don't want to keep working till, till you drop, right? So I, I made at least a few hundred thousand people retire early when they're young because a lot of people look up to me and re I retire. I look up to John Lennon, so I wanted to do the same. And so I retire for four years for our baby girl. So there was this, uh, this movement to retire for just a little bit. We call it semi-retirement. And so um, even though you hit 60s or 70s, you may not want to work as, as hard, but still you want to do something that can contribute to somebody. So like, you know, this legend sushi master, uh, Jiro, you know, he, he, I think he's still, uh, I think he, he hit his 90. And my mentor, Mr. Sakurai, he's 92 and he still writes. And he started uh, his publishing company when he hit his 80. So he started his company when he was 82, and uh, after 10 years, he's still up and running. At age 82. By the way, I don't know, just you talking about, so we've got Ken Honda in Japan talking about sushi and his mentor sushi. I know that it's already <laughs> breakfast where you are, but it's dinner <laughs> after we're done, and that is what I'm going to get. Ja guys, we are going to get sushi after this. All right. <laughs> uh, Right. So you retired at this very, very young age, right? 29 mm -hmm. is ultra early and did it for a while. You're able to raise your daughter in the early years, fully focused. And then you, and th there was a point where you saw the population running into an issue of working very hard and not being able to spend enough time with their family. And I would say from an American perspective, we think of your country and your culture as very hard working. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that this is an issue and then that led you to, and I, and I think part of this is, is you growing up with your father as a CPA. He was a, an accountant. That's accountant, yes. And then coming up with this idea of happy versus unhappy money. So happy money and unhappy money. And I think maybe let's, if you could explain that, what that means to you to, to our Retire Sooner audience. Sure. So uh, happy money. Happy money is money that makes you smile and unhappy money makes you Ooh, you know, feel small or um, contained. So um, that's a big difference. So uh, it's it's not like when you retire, but how you retire is very important. Ken, does it apply to, is this really about how you feel about money at every stage? This is not just about when you're stopping work and you've got this pool of money that you need to last. Is this a, mm -hmm. does this impact somebody who's 35 and they're 
paying a mortgage or they're buying a car? Is this at every little stage, even the consumer stage? Yeah. So uh, I've written uh, six books on generations. My One of my national bestsellers is 17 things to do in your 20s and 30s and 40s. I sold about 2.3 million copies here. And, and during the interviews with many people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, I realized that money means something different depending on um, which generations. So that this kind of thing fascinates me. So, uh, you know, money in your 20s, money in your 60s, the same thing, but completely different meaning. Maybe give us a sense of that. So to, what are those two extremes? Somebody in their, in their 20s relative to 60s, what does that look like? Right. So, for example, in your 20s, if you can remember, you know, money is for clothes, impressing, you know, uh, potential mate. So uh, you, you're like a peacock, you know, you have to dress well <laughs> to impress other potential mates. So um, uh, more um, money is, is going to be spent on parties, having fun and, you know, those things. And or like to try to make you look good or smarter if you cannot look good, you know, whatever <laughs> that is, your strategy. Uh, uh, and also, you know, doing many stupid things and lose money uh, in your 20s. Start your own business, or just invest in girls and boys. And <laughs> in your 60s, uh, after doing all, all sorts of things, you're going to sort of like an enlightenment stage. You know, mm. you walk through this depression and hope. So uh, you're like a master, you know, um, you go beyond money. So you have fun, something that is meaningful for you. It could be playing golf, it could be doing some sculpture. But you find something and you finally come in terms with who you are. So money becomes a security, but not much to impress um, other people. So um, money is a tool. So people use it in a different way, depending on, on your generations. If I'm sitting there with a bank account and, and a listener is thinking, okay, I've got $50,000 or 500 or 5 million, let's, it doesn't, maybe, maybe the amount doesn't matter, Ken, mm -hmm. maybe it is more about how they think about that money. And this is where you come in. Is there a wand to wave or what is the, what is the behavior? What do we do to have our money kind of go from unhappy to happy or, or what is a mistake to make it go from happy to unhappy? So if you uh, put too much meaning on money, suddenly you feel attached to money. For example, if you attach yourself to money in, say, uh, money as security, suddenly you feel, I cannot lose this one. Mm -hmm. So money is super important for your sense of security. And if you think money is your self-worth, which a lot of North American people think, you know, suddenly you feel so threatened by the fall of the stock market or potential lawsuits or uh, something uh, to decrease the amount of your asset. So if you're attached to money in, in an emotional way, it's going to drive you crazy, no matter what that is, especially if your amount is too much, it can cause you all sorts of problems and also your family too. If you have too little, that's a problem too. But uh, I think problems are bigger for um, people who have too much. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because I feel like we could all in, <laughs> I feel like most people in North America could get closer to happy money than they are today because we do tend to have this great sense of security with it. We have this, and some people have a great sense of meaning or an earning and it defines them. And it would be helpful to try to talk us through minimizing all of that. But I think I wanted to start with the struggle of people that have too much money or plenty of money. And what are the unique problems there? Yeah, so, you know, uh, before going into that, money creates a lot of emotional stress. So there's this study done by the number of complaints happen in uh, airplane, um, inside airplane. So uh, if there is a first class or the same size uh, aircraft, but the plane with a uh, first class and the, the plane with all the same seats. So you know what? Um, which one has uh, more complaint cases? Of course, the one with the first classes. Because if the meal service is slow, people in the back think 
that the rich guy gets our, our food, you know, or maybe better food first, and then uh, they're so slow. But if it's the same class, people don't complain. So it's not how much money you have or how much you, money you make. It's about the sense of fairness. So uh, oh. I think people in North America struggle. Somebody else is just getting a better deal or get a better something that makes you feel so uh, unfair, frustrated. So um, this feeling is the same if you're making $10,000 or $10 million. You know, uh, and if you're making $10 million, I bet the chances that your friends are making twice as more. So, right, right. You know, an acquaintance of mine said they feel so small when they drive into this special uh, terminal for his private jet. Uh, he feels so small because all the other private jets are so big. His plane is so small. So, so it, it doesn't go away. To your point, it doesn't matter, right? You could yeah. you could be somebody that makes ten thousand a year, or someone that makes ten million. There's always something that f- maybe feels unfair or can feel unfair around finances. It doesn't matter, right? Right. So you have to find peace with money in your own way, because otherwise, people think that making more money solves the problem. But if you're making already $500,000 a year, another $100,000 does not really do much. So uh, you know the statistics, like if we're making over $75,000, that doesn't give you more happiness, even if you make more money. So you have to find another way. You have to look inside to find happiness. That's why I teach Zen and also um, try to find a sense of peace with money. So tell us maybe some of the steps and then how big of a journey is that? Or can you just totally get me to happy money state before we're done here? Because the feeling of just having the Zen money, which I, again, I know this is what you write about as well. Mm-hmm. How hard is that to do, Ken? Is How long does it take to get there? And what are some of those steps? It's so easy and simple. My mentor, Wahei Takeda, who's called Warren Buffett of Japan, he is one time a major shareholder of more than 100 public companies here. But he taught me uh, the key to happiness around money is uh, arigato your money. It takes only one second. Appreciate your money, both coming in and going out. By appreciating money in your life, you can start the cycle of appreciation in your life. So when money comes in, as a dividend or check or whatever the form is, can you appreciate the money with your open heart? And then, wow, thank you money for coming into my life. And when you spend it in matter of paying at the restaurant or shop or taxes and paying the bills, can you appreciate all the service given to you or all the, all the goods in exchange for your money? So if you can start appreciating your money, it takes only one second and it doesn't cost you anything. It totally shifts your energy. And I've taught this technique to at least a few hundred thousand people personally. I talk to thousands of people all the time. And then this English interview, the total um, views have been at least 20, 30 million views in English and Spanish speaking world. And I've get I've got uh, thousands of emails saying thank you, Ken. Your arigato money technique changed my whole uh, whole entire family, because we used to complain about money. My kids co- used to complain about uh, money, but once we start appreciating our money, we say thank you more in our family. So the total thank you in my ha- family must be ten times more than it used to be. Hey, y'all, it's Mallory Boggs, the producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is going to pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement. 
and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So adiato is how we pronounce that, right? Yes, adiato, yes. So we, I can, we can appreciate money coming in. And then what about, I can see how if I go get sushi tonight, <laughs> I'm going to easily appreciate spending money on the sushi and I'm going to thank my money for buying uh-huh. me the sushi, right? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. But then what if I get a ticket when I walk out to my car and I've got a $100 ticket for a parking ticket? How how do I appreciate that, or do I have to just dig a little deeper and just say, well, I appreciate that we we have police and we're actually having order in our lives? Yeah, because you know that money will just go to uh, not to the police per, uh, person directly, but it's going to pay for the salary and for the safety of the town, and uh, because of the or say speeding or parking, either way. If you keep uh, speeding that fast and if you just um, park in the wrong spot, you could be a nuisance and a potential danger to other people. Yeah. So they pre- they kind of like, you know, knock on the door and say, sir, did you forget it? Yes, sorry. You know, my goodness, I forgot that this is not the right spot. Thank you for reminding me, you know, for the safety of us and also other people. So. To appreciate your kindness and generosity, I don't mind paying for this. So, yeah. if, and if you can go a step further, I appreciate you, officer, for just doing the right work. By the way, I one one time I was pulled over in Japan uh, for speeding, and not oh, no no, it's a, a, a long term, and uh, um, I got pulled over, and then, then we had a friendly conversation. And I thank the officer, you know, thank you for doing the great work. And I'm sorry I didn't miss this. I, I didn't look at the sign. I, mi- I must have missed it. And we had a very good uh, connection. And he, the officer said, good day. You're good to go. So I was supposed to pay like 50 or $100, but I was let go free. So this Oof. appreciation also works in that sense. I don't know feel, if that works in North America, but. <laughs> I feel like it might be a little different here with the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Roll down your window, drive license and registration, please. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you so much, officer. I'm so glad you asked. Um, all right. So this adiato, which is a way of appreciating the money that comes, that goes out. And we can, we can essentially identify a root benefit to almost anything or really anything that we spend our money on, right? Even if it's something that on the surface, though it is a penalty or mm-hmm. something we don't want to have to be spending, but so it's usually for some service that's helping us in some way. Mm-hmm. Appreciating money coming in. Tell me a little bit of, about that. So I'm appreciating a paycheck. I'm appreciating a dividend. I'm appreciating any sort of return on, on my capital. And how do you think about that when you receive something? So if you're, say, working for a company, your boss or colleagues thought you are worthy of working in the company. So out of many thousands of potential employees, uh, you are chosen to work for the company. And if you are working as a freelance coach, uh, you were chosen by a client out of 10,000 other coaches in your own area. So can you appreciate the person or uh, the boss or whoever hired you for choosing you and for trusting you with their uh, very important money? So can you feel the trust and also can you feel that you're chosen as uh, to work with? Can you appreciate, you know, that person? And I did a uh, uh, fun experiment one time many years ago. I When I was doing consulting, I divided my clients into two groups. One, I did nothing. The other group, I, I brought something small like a book or herb tea or chocolate, something to say, Thank you for the business. And amazingly, six months later, the first group, I got some referrals. 
but it's okay. But the second group that I brought some small gifts, not huge, they were just sending me so many clients. Uh, so my appreciation uh, return as a referral. So thank you to uh, the people who pay you. Always uh, works. So um, this thing is not just a spiritual practice. It's, it's just about marketing too. If I think about our ambition in, again, North America, in the United States, how do we feel about that? Is it right? Is there a right way? Uh, is it wrong to continue to want more when it comes to, oh, I'm making 50,000, but I want to make 100. I'm making 100, I want to make 200. And yes, I, I'm a big believer in uh, the, I, I've done my own studies on money and happiness, and I've found that I call it a diminishing marginal happiness per new dollar. It's the plateauing effect of, we had a lot of new happiness early on because we get maybe some just peace of mind that we can live in society. And then after a certain point, it levels off, it's, it plateaus. Is it right? Is it wrong for somebody to think, hey, I'm making 100, I want to make 500 one day. Is there anything wrong with that? Or is that okay if you're giving appreciation to it? And, and I want to understand that. I think the most important thing is how you feel about it. A lot of us are driven because of a greed, because of us wanting more. So wanting more doesn't make you happy. Uh, and, you know, naturally growing is good and healthy. But if you want more and more and more uh, work out of greed, and also anxiety, that creates more greed and anxiety. So I think the motivation behind wanting more is very important. Because in life, you know, there are two ways of finding peace and happiness. If you um, look for it, what you want and go for it, that's also exciting life. Uh, the other way is uh, look inside. If you enjoy what you have already got, that brings happiness too. So there are two sides of happiness, wanting more and just going after what you want. And at the same time, uh, really, truly enjoying what you got. Uh, a lot of people who want to have more forget they have already enough and then want more. If that is a case, there's a never ending hell. Uh, like uh, um, you're drinking seawater in a drifting boat. You know, drinking seawater makes you feel thirsty more and then you drink more, so you're going to end up dying uh, on the boat. So don't drink seawater, salted water on a drifting boat, because it's like making money is exactly like that. I've been on the road, so I know what it's like. So more stress comes in if you just make more than $200,000. There could be a potential lawsuits. Your kids may be the target of uh, kidnapping. So... You need to find your right container, right money container size. Uh, some people are born with a bigger container than others, and some people are born with small containers. So if you try to push money into your container, it's going to crack. So you have to know the right size. Well, how do we know that? Now, and this goes back to, you were saying that making 200,000 or 2 million, you're going to end up with a whole new set of problems. Mm -hmm. How are we supposed to know that money container size? It's very easy. Just think of the uh, bills you pay. You know, for some people, they don't mind paying, say, $10,000 bills, right? A mortgage and everything. And that means that their um, money container is, is bigger than $10,000. Mm -hmm. So if you're uh, working, currently working, say, $150,000 $50, income or budget, uh, you're probably paying about uh, $10,000 every month, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, think about your credit card bills is more than like $50,000 every month. Do you feel like, you know, I have to pay $50,000 every month? And, you know, and then uh, your money container is probably a little smaller than that. <laughs> and yeah. uh, my friend who's make, uh, you know, who has uh, $100 million in sales, his bills is about, you know, $10 million every month. So a uh, $10 million bill every month equals $300,000 uh, bill cost every day. So can you feel like paying $300,000 every day? 
And you feel like, no way, you know. <laughs> and then your container size is not that big. So we can, we can figure out our container size. What about people that that struggle with unhappy money? Is it really come down to, or was there a time in your life, Ken, mm-hmm. that you did not have this appreciation? Did you ever have unhappy money at any given time? Yes. Uh, you know, I used to work with uh, my father, who was a tax accountant. And my brother is also a tax accountant. And that gave uh, get me this uh, sort of like a family obligation. You know, if your father is a doctor or a lawyer, that you have your old police pr- person, you're supposed to do the same kind of thing, right? Yeah. And that would make your dad proud. So that time, I was not super happy. Because my true calling and true passion is to inspire people, uh, millions of people. So I was not satisfied with uh, 100 or 200 clients. I was doing okay, but the money I was uh, making is not that big either. So I felt something is missing. Uh, it's not, I'm not against uh, you know, accounting work or anything, but it wasn't the right fit for me. So unless you find the right fit for you, doing what you love so much, so you feel like you're not working. Um, so that is your true passion and, and life calling. Your and I- that is happy money. That's your Aikigi. What well, was that? Is that different though than Aikigi? Ikigai? Yeah, it's, Ikigai? it's pretty much the same. So uh, Ikigai brings you happy money. Uh, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or, um, flo- you know, work, if you're working in, uh, uh, as a florist, it's the same thing. Do what you love. That brings happy money into your life. Let's talk about abundance for a minute. How do we bring a sense of, or what is the effect of abundance relative to this feeling of scarcity? And I think that you've, you maybe call scarcity a myth. Maybe we start with scarcity. Well, scarcity is a place where you feel like you don't have enough for your survival or for your satisfaction. And on the other hand, abundant mentality is you always feel I have more than enough. You know, uh, even if it's $10, this is more than enough. So this feeling that I have so much gives you uh, deep satisfaction in your life. So even if you have $10 million in your bank account, if you're feeling this is not enough, you know, it makes you feel miserable. So it's it's how you look at life. And uh, if you always feel like you have more than enough, or if you don't have enough, someone else was, uh, will come in and help you. And then you don't have to worry about life. So the reason why I don't have money anxiety is that I know my friends will make sure that I will not fall. They are going to come in and help. So even if I just lose everything, for example, I think I'll be okay because my friends will come in and help me financially and emotionally. So if you have that safety net, you don't have to rely on your personal bank account. And then even if you have so much money in your bank account, what if uh, you know the government shuts down your bank account? Or what if, what if, what if you feel anxiety? Because anxiety uh, creates an illusion that one day your life will be really bad. So right. you have to really uh, find peace inside. And the key is your connection with people. I'm teaching a lot about Invisible assets, you know, how to create invisible assets instead of visible assets. Visible assets meaning stocks and bond and real estate. Uh, invisible assets is the trust, friendship, uh, generosity, and kindness. And those things are not highly appreciated right now, but I think it's going to be valuable in a few years when uh, we're going to a heavy recession. And friendship and uh, generosity is all we can count, not in your bank account. And I think we're going to realize what's most important in our life. So instead of increasing the amount of uh, your net asset, people focus on how much we have in terms of friendship, you know, the love in the family and uh, care in the community and the generosity and sharing. So I'm welcoming the coming recession uh, with open arms because we're going to experience hardships together. But if we can get through this by sharing what we have 
and caring about each other. I think um, we are going to learn something big instead of just all of us making a lot of money. But I think if you're just bound, you know, um, if you have a strong bound, uh, bonding, that is such a big foundation for the rest of your life. So I strongly suggest that you, you start creating your own safety net, you know. Uh, but uh, talking about money brings so much emotions in North America, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. So I hope if you can talk about it with your own family members, that is going to help you a lot more. You know, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with uh, anthropology and I have traveled all around the world and especially uh, Europeans and North Americans are individualistic. So it's hard to talk about money. Uh, uh, like in China and in Japan, we are talking about money more casually, you know, it's still taboo. But when you go to a high school reunion or college reunion, we ask each other, how much money are you making? You know, so. You do it in Japan and China. They do that. You yeah. guys do that. Yeah. But in America, Wes, if you just come in, hey, Wes, how are you doing? You're, I know you're working in a good company. How much are you making a year last year? You know, <laughs> and then. You know, you would be like, that. what? What did you say? Right. <laughs> so, uh, so it's almost like saying, how's your wife? How's your kid? And and uh, uh, like when I attended uh, uh, my reunion a few years ago, people know I bought a retreat center, you know, which can seat 60 people. Yeah. And then uh, I said, oh, you know, you can come in anytime. And, and my friend said, how much was it? <laughs> And then you wouldn't ask something like that in North America, right? When you bought a house. No, like yeah. Like, how much was it? So, and do you ever feel any guilt around? Do people in your culture feel guilt or shame in the number ever? Uh, yeah, we, we, we feel different when, you know, we feel competitive, you know, if your friends are making way more. But at the same time, like, wow, great for you guys, you know. So, and I'm sure in North America, uh, there is a feeling if you're very close, but I I have a sense that uh, people feel funny about talking. Um, it, it is funny it, for very very close friends. You're right. We in North America we do. Now I am in the investment business, so I it is normal to sit down with a couple and it's the first thing we talk about. Oh, well, so how much are you making at IBM and how much are you making at AT and T? And they say one hundred fifty thousand uh -huh. and two hundred thousand and that's normal, but but not socially. You would never do that yeah. socially here. Right. Like very close friends will at some point say, hey, how much you making over there? You're sitting here telling me that your culture, this is no big deal. And I'm still like, I want to ask Ken how much money he makes, but I'm still not going to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's like a social courtesy. But on the other hand, in Asia, sexual issues are more taboo. Ah. So in North America, it, it seems like there are people um, talking about it openly. Sex is open and not taboo, but money is. And in your yes. culture, it's flip-flopped. Yes. So you can shock a Japanese businessman by asking about his sexual life. And then he's <laughs> going to have a heart attack. So, you know, we have social taboos in a different area. So I hope Japanese people will be free from sexual uh, taboos. And also North American people will be free from uh, money taboos uh, emotionally. And then we can relax more. So in this year, you're 55. Has your income just keep going? Or well, let me ask you, how much have you made this year, or how much about will you make this year? Yeah, so I think I'm gonna uh, from book royalties. I have been work uh, making about half a million dollars uh, every year, pretty yeah. much for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and I have other incomes from passive income and uh, other sorts of in income. I have a retreat center, mm -hmm. which leasing out, and also I have seminar business. And I have other speaking engagements and uh, four or five different businesses. So I don't know exactly how much I'm making, but uh, I'm, I make more than enough for a family of three. Yeah. So I support uh, many families with my income too. I started a, a, like sort of like a personal basic income to support people who uh, have a hard time making both ends meet. So instead of government doing it, I'm just doing it. And these are people within your, your community and network or just your family, uh, extended um, family? Uh, without, within my community, but they're not uh, blood related. 
but I, I think of them as my family. And then I'm thinking of extending that to more distant family because uh, people are going to need more and more support. So I'm so um, proud of myself being able to support bigger family, you know, uh, because I, um, I receive more money than I need for a family of three. And uh, I cannot eat fancy meals 10 times a day. So you might as well, yeah, support others. Wow. It's funny. It makes me want to be supported. I feel like I, I should be supporting more people. I do have a family of six, so that's, uh -huh. that is a start. I mean, I've got. <laughs> <laughs> what about families fighting over money and let's say fighting over whether it's property or land, yeah. what happens in, in that situation and how do we solve that? It's about sense of uh, fairness once again. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in, at the conference table one time that the brother had a, a private university education where his sister uh, didn't. And the brother uh, went uh, abroad and uh, got a higher education. That means that uh, he gets higher pay. And uh, his sister didn't find a good job instead of working in a big company. Uh, she was with the family, the parents, and then um, she was sort of like the protector of the family. She cooked and she took them to the hospital. And uh, the brother said, you know, we're going to split in half. But she felt like her brother is making way more money. And then she doesn't. And she was there in the family, parents for over uh, 15 years, taking care of them. So legally, they should split the money, sure, right? Sure, sure. But uh, emotionally, she feels like she deserves more. So if the brother, in that case, he understood. So sister, you know, you, you've done so much. So please take 75% of what our parents left. And then I'm okay with 25%. So that was a happy ending. Mm. But a lot of families, they try to, you know, uh, since legally it's half and half, I take the half. Thank you, sister. And then... I mean, in many cases, there's not even a thank you. That really upset the whole situation, right? Yeah. So it's about sense of being appreciated. Fairness and appreciation, of being yeah. Treated with respect. So unless you do have that uh, in your family members, it could create a lot of chaos. What about at work? What if you're feeling as though you're not, somebody's maybe making too much relative to you and you feel unfair and it's a work situation? Yes, exactly the same. This feeling that you're not treated fairly, you know, and then you're upset. So, yeah. but overall, I believe in fair universe. So if I'm not appreciated here, I'll be appreciated somewhere else. So I don't get upset. I feel like that this situation tells me I'm in the wrong spot. So uh -huh. I have to find another spot, you know. So, but, so I'm, I'm okay emotionally, but a lot of people feel like, it's not fair, right? And this should not ha be happening to me. So instead of getting upset over what's not right, you should find a better place that you'll be treated with more respect and uh, more love and generosity. So um, I believe in fairness, but in many organizations, it's so impossible to treat or give them a fair evaluation you know, I'm, I have many friends who are in department personnel. It's almost impossible to judge some people, you know, that he or she is doing the right job because right. it's so hard to calculate. So sometimes people feel that they're not uh, are treated equally, but life is not treating everybody equally. But I, I believe in fairness. Life is treating you fairly if you just take a close look. So... I always say this, uh, the distance to happiness is the same for everyone. You know, some people think that uh, kids of rich family, they're closer to happiness. No, it's not. I have many friends whose parents are super wealthy, and they're always said, oh, you're a son of that, that, that. And then, so shame on you. I thought you were doing a lot much more, but you're so pathetic, you know, and just uh, you're shame on you. I know your father. So, you know, they're being treated. Oh, it's most like abuse. Mm. So even though you're born and brought up in a wealthy family, the distance to happiness is exactly the same. So once you get this, 
you can work inside um, because um, it's we've been treated equally in terms of happiness. So everybody can find his or her own happiness in its own unique way. Can I've got four younger kids still, uh, four boys from 15 down to six. And it, I think it is a little bit of a struggle to teach them about money. I think it's hard for me. And I guess I would ask you, I know you have a special relationship with your daughter uh-huh. and how is that, how have you taught her about money and what do you recommend to me as a, as a dad? Uh-huh. So best example is you live your life with the gratitude. You know, my daughter has, has seen how I worked. So one time I, I was talking to thousands of people, about 2,500 people. And uh, my daughter was about eight, eight or nine or something like that. And, um, and and she was so surprised from the curtain, you know, in the backstage. Wow, it, all the people came to see you, dad? And I said, yeah. I was so proud. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I asked her, why do you think there are so many people are here? And uh, I'm going to talk about money. And, and my daughter said, I think, you know, they came in and say, how much they love you. And I cried because I thought I was giving them, you know, but I, from her eyes, they're giving me, and I got it so wrong. <laughs> so, um, and I realized that there's this arrogance in me that I got famous, my book sold millions, I'm here to love you. But in fact, in fact, they came in, they bought the copies, that's why I got all the money. And so um, she taught me, but the the way we we kind of exchange. To love them, to love them, <laughs> yeah. to love them. Yeah. So uh, you know, I was I was thinking of teaching her about money, but she was teaching me about money. So um, you know, money is love. So if you can somehow experience love is money. Uh, so I always uh, used to say. Uh, when we dine at a nice table or dine at uh, at home, we always say this food is brought to you know it's like a commercial. This, <laughs> this food is brought to us by thousands of readers of my recent books. So I appreciate the people who came to the bookstore to buy my books and send money. And we kind of jokingly thank them, you know, in our own imagination, thank all the readers because of you, we could eat, you know this beautiful meal. So uh, they're in my prayer. So if you can include all the people with your kids' prayer saying that, who gave you the money? And if you can appreciate them for sending us the money, uh, supporting our family, I think it's a great education. And in the future, they will they want to do something that they can uh, support other people. Uh, by the way, my uh, my daughter is 24, and she became a singer. And uh, tomorrow, actually, she's going to do a, a concert in the center of Tokyo. And uh, she's expressing her love through music. Whoa. So, is, she, is this her biggest concert yet? Or this sounds like a very big deal? Or is she already very famous in she, oh, Japan? She released, uh, um, she released this uh, CD this year. So it's going to... Her name is Stella. Stella. Uh, so... Yeah, she's she's uh, going to sing in uh, Japanese, English, and Chinese. So um, uh, fairly soon, you're going to see it on YouTube. Her channel is about a few hundred thousand views already. Already, so, already. Yeah, so it's exciting. So I told her, well, about more you appreciate, the more it grows. So I think that's super important, even if you become... A doctor, lawyers, uh, you know, teachers, or doing whatever for work. It really is a very fundamental principle that what you're talking about. It's very fundamental, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing to do with dollars and cents so much. It's a, mm-hmm. but it's everything to do about if you're sitting around and and you understand where this came from and who paid for it, not dad, mm-hmm. right, or mom, but those who have paid dad and mom for their services over the years. And it's thankful to them right. is what you're talking about. And that's a very fundamental thing about money. And I think it, I, it sounds like that would then lead to a fundamental appreciation of money, which gets you back to happy money, right? Appreciate in 
and appreciate out, appreciate in. And it's something where I think it's hard for anybody and in particular little kids to connect all those dots. Mm -hmm. It's like, dad, what do you do? What do people pay? How much do people pay? What do you get paid for? What? And, and I think there are a lot of careers like that, Ken, where it's hard to even understand what mom and dad are doing. You're a yeah, consultant. You can, what yes, are you consulting so if you, on? <laughs> if you can explain what you do and how much you make. One time she was uh, seven or eight at the time. And uh, we're uh, in a long, long line for ice cream. And um, uh, I was telling her that my book sales are paying the ice cream. And she asked me, she was curious about money, I think. So she, maybe she's older than that. And she asked me, how much money are you making per book sale? Yeah. And uh, I said, I make 50 cents per book. You know, and, and she was saying, can I still eat my ice cream? Because it's like $4. <laughs> and then I was laughing because like, oh my God, my dad is only making 40, 50 cents. You know? Right. You need to sell five books to have this ice cream. <laughs> A lot yeah, of books. Yeah. A yeah. Lot of so she's like, can I, I eat my ice cream? And I was <laughs> laughing. But, you know, uh, she she understands. So uh, if you can uh, teach your kids how you make money and so and and then how many people you're impacting through your work and how uh, she's seeing so many people. I bought this retreat center outside of Tokyo so I don't have to stay away from my family. So there is a big, like a hotel. Hotel. Wait, wait. Tell me about the retreat center. What's the retreat center? What is it? Oh, so uh, my retreat center is like a hotel, and uh, there is a seminar hall and also a dining hall uh, downstairs. So we can seat sixty people, and in that big building, we built um, a private area so uh, we can, you know, we can live. And so my commute is only 10, 10 seconds. You know, after the seminar at seven o'clock, thank you guys. See you tomorrow. It's a retreat center, so people stay overnight. And so after 10 seconds, I come in to my personal area and then uh, we can dine. So I, I've I've shown her how I work. So, um, you know, she comes in, comes down and just talk with participants. And, uh, and the people tell her how much they love me and all, all that all kind of thing. So she understood from the very early age that I'm making people happy and smile. So that's what I do. What are your, your retreats called? What are the seminars called? And they're like, what, one or two days? Oh, so sometimes I deal with relationships, sometimes uh, uh, financial independence. So I pick a theme out from the hat. And then like next week, uh, I'm going to talk about more spiritual side of money. So I have more spiritual audience. And uh, the last week, uh, uh, last month, I did a uh, uh, retreat for writers, you know, how to become a best-selling writer. So um, I teach people very more technique, you know, uh, how to write five chapters, how to sell 100,000 books and uh, marketing and how to work with, uh, you know, editors and all that kind of thing. So you have different seminars through your website. People, you'll say, I'm going to do these five. This, these are the topics over the course of the next couple of months. Yes. Yes. And then people sign in fast and there's always a long queue for that. Um, I, do I get some preferential treatment if you, if I can, if I want to sign up for one of yours, <laughs> if I come to Japan? Yeah, I'm thinking of doing a, a, a fun event in Kyoto for international guests sometime next year when cherry trees are beautiful because a lot of uh, my fans overseas, they want to come to Japan. So, okay, I'm going to plan something for you guys. So, and where, uh, what is the name of this place with all these beautiful cherry trees? Uh, Kyoto. Kyoto is oh, a Kyoto. place. Oh, Kyoto. Okay. Kyoto. Mm -hmm. Old temples, shrines. Beautiful. Um, yeah. Beautiful area. So, you know, we're going to do a seminar, probably happy money seminar. And, uh, uh, fun um, school trip. How many how many people will come to something like that? Is that a really big one? Uh, we used to do uh, uh, five hundred for um, one day retreat and twenty five for twenty five hundred for you know big lecture two hour lectures. But after COVID, uh, actually I'm going to do uh, two hundred people live events in three days. So and then when people feel more okay. In Japan, people are still wearing masks. So uh, it's going to take a while before everybody wants to come in 2,000 people workshop. 
So how much do you travel though? Do you, have you done a bunch of these in America too or no? Uh, before COVID, yes. And yeah, yeah. not after. So I'm, I'm, I'll start traveling to North America um, sometime soon. Yeah. Okay. So um, do you have anything booked already? Do you already have events in Atlanta, uh, in, Atlanta in, in, oh, in America yet? Not in U.S., but I think I'm, uh, I'm going to open up and see what happens. I okay. think uh, Europe is uh, open up more. I did a big event in Germany. Yep. And that's and also Australia. That's how I kind of like started going around the world. So uh, well, we're very very open. I tell you what, uh, Georgia, where I live in South in mm-hmm. Florida, in the southeastern part of the United States, uh, is very different. So our country is pretty different. So right, uh, you know, we have some places that were really open early, and some that were closed early. So it's very different. It's almost like different countries a little bit. So yeah, Florida. Yeah was open really early and stayed open. Part of that is that the climate there, right? It's, That's it's true. part of it is the climate and you're, and there's a, tons and tons of Florida is near the water, right? And it's warm in the winter even. So people flocked to Florida during COVID because oh. outdoor activities exploded, obviously. So instead of having indoor events, people would try to do seminars or do events outside. In fact, during, I think it was early COVID days, we here, I'm in Georgia, similar, but uh, mm-hmm. similar, un, very unrestricted. But we had these pavilion days where when everybody was working from home, we started, we found these big parks with pavilions and we ended up doing work under the pavilion. We called it pavilion Tuesdays and we got everybody oh, together, but, out, but outside. So, but, uh, but yeah, so the events we have here are extremely open. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to convince you to come do a, a 5,000 person event here, or maybe they, we don't need to do five. I'm appreciative for 200, 250. Yeah. So I, numbers really don't count, uh, don't matter because yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to do this in English, you know, um, I'm already financially independent, so I don't have to get paid. Uh, so I love to go anywhere. This is my passion. So I'm happy to share this. Uh, only a few techniques will just free you from money emotionally. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. It just uh, change how you think about money. And so don't get stuck emotionally is what I want to share. How about poverty? Is there a way for people in poverty to also feel happy money? Mm-hmm. So the, the problem with poverty is uh, uh, depression. You know, people who mm. cannot see hope uh, in the future, they get depressed. So this is a vicious cycle. If you're depressed, you cannot feel motivated to do something, and then you get depressed. So unless you break this uh, pattern or break out this, this cycle, you cannot get out of poverty. So I think uh, depression is the, the first thing you have to choose. Uh, you have to choose to work with. Otherwise, you cannot get out. And once you know, oh, this is easy, you know, I can get out of this cycle uh, in a minute, and and then you can. But once again, appreciation is the the saver, you know, appreciation shifts you out of this poverty consciousness. And once you do, you see something so different. And it takes uh, some time to, to feel that. And then the spiritual, and I, you just said you teach a whole class on spiritual. Mm-hmm. If, what, what would be, what is the spiritual element of money? The spiritual element of money is so fascinating because uh, money is energy. And when you t- take a look at money as an energy side, you see a lot of flow in your life and also in anywhere. So uh, if you were just making some people happy, the happy energy comes into your life. And uh, sometimes people make too much money. That's not really theirs. Um, so say if you overcharge your clients and then get the money, but uh, the money uh, contains unhappy money energy. Ooh. So that hit you. And then you, uh, it hit your family members because you know the stress that you didn't do things right. Mm. So you feel something isn't right. So you feel uh, guilty about guilty. that. So that kind of funny guilt uh, gets you upset. So you yell at your kids or your wife or husband because you know uh, you have bad energy in your system. So once you're contaminated, you cannot be happy. You cannot be uh, generous with other people. So you treat people in not, not in a good way. 
so they will hate you for that. <laughs> so you cannot feel happy. How so do you break this, it? So how do you break that cycle, the spiritual side of that? Yeah. So you have to um, have a, a right eyes. This is my money. This is not my money. So you can only accept happy money. Mm. So that's why I, I, I have a 100% money guarantee system. So if people are not satisfied, we give all the money back. And the people who just cannot come to my seminar because they're sick, we follow up and then make sure that they get the money back too. Not many people do that. So they appreciate us for doing that. So you want to make sure that everything that's coming in has a very good, I guess, spirit to it. Yes. Right? yes. Anything that's so, coming in, it's not just about being appreciative of it, but it's also that the spirit of what is coming in is strong and good. Yes. Yes. So the people who cannot come to our, our um, seminar, you know, I missed one concert because my daughter had a high fever and I felt so upset, uh, not with the money, but the fact that I couldn't go. So we just reach out to those people who just didn't show up and uh, we ask them. And uh, usually they have something urgent and they missed it. So I said, okay, you missed it. So we'll give you the money back. They're super surprised. Like, what? You're what? giving us money back? You know, we're saying, our staff say, because you didn't show up. So that means we didn't serve you the food. No food, no money. So uh, uh, it's not right to charge charge you. Uh, for for the food that you didn't eat, you didn't eat. So they become a very supporters of our seminars and, and books that way. So only receive happy money. I know we started off the conversation a little bit, but somebody in their 20s, they want to buy stuff to peacock around. And when you're 60, you want security. What is just the general difference between a kid and money in someone who is well, well into retirement? Yeah, so I think... People are more worried about their health issues, you know, how much it's going to cost uh, health. and all that. So you feel like uh, um, you have to have some money for that. Like in Northern European countries and like in Bhutan, you know, you, ha you don't have to pay a lot of money for dentistry and also a surgery. The other day I went to a dentist and how much do you think they, they charged me? Uh, for cleaning and everything, it charged, they charged me only eight dollars. Yeah, that doesn't happen here. You can't even buy Coca Cola uh, I, for eight dollars here. Is this everything? And I said eight dollars. Yes, you know, eight dollars and twenty cents or something, right? And in North America, probably you have to pay eight hundred dollars, right? That's right. Even, yeah, if you're, even if you have insurance. So I think medical bills could be uh, such a little tricky thing uh, for uh, people who retire in North America. So if because if it's not covered right, you will probably worry about how much bills you have to pay. So if medical insurance are okay with you, I want to introduce you the idea with uh, of die with zero philosophy. You know, uh, you got to pick up a book, die with zero. I'm fascinated with, uh, with this book uh, because can you think of the day when you die, how much money do you want to leave? You know, I think the, the most beautiful person dies with no money. Huh. My friend's mom calculated how much it's going to cost for her funeral and everything. And he gave away all the money he uh, she had for her grandkids, which is not a lot because she was a school teacher. So she calculated everything and she gave away all the money. And uh, after paying all the funerals, uh, how much do you think she had left in the bank account? She had only like eight eight dollars and, and something, uh, less than ten dollars in her bank account when she died. I think it's the most beautiful way of passing, you know, die with zero, and also happy memories. Yeah. But uh, only the master, true masters, can can do that because we're too afraid. Yeah, we're so afraid, and we, it's hard to it's hard to time it. It's a little hard. Yeah, to... yeah, and uh, so we are afraid of spending all the money we have. But imagine if all your kids and other people will make sure that you're okay. I think you can die with zero. So think about the money. Money is to be enjoyed. So you can celebrate your last, you know, remaining years with all the happy memories. So don't feel too afraid because, you know, extreme cases that you cannot go on vacation because you're afraid of spending money. So spend money well. It's interesting, I think, the cultures, maybe the cultures, the culture where you are versus the European cultures versus North American culture. 
and I think of European culture and I actually think of maybe some of the Asian cultures where mm-hmm. it is very normal that where families do they they're more extended families and they do take care of each other. And we have this great, such independence in the United States. I think mm-hmm. that is good in so many ways, but it also has made families very undependent upon each other and mm-hmm. they live in other States and they end up not necessarily supporting their, the kids don't necessarily support their adult parents. Uh, mm-hmm. That's very common in the United States, or at least I, I still see that a fair amount. So I do wonder if that is culturally different here in the United States, and we have less of that inner and generational support as you maybe do perhaps in Japan or in certain European countries. May I, I don't know if that's the case. Yes, yes. So and, and if you are um, having a difficulty financially, you can ask your parents, your kids, or your brothers and sisters for help. And uh, uh, people are more willing to help you than you think. But we are so bad at receiving help or asking for help. So um, in the case of financial hardships, we have to be vulnerable and also uh, learn how to ask for help. And culturally, it's harder in uh, in North America to ask for help. I understand that because uh, it's a cultural thing. But if you can go beyond that, a lot of people feel so loved by being asked for help. Yeah, that's so, true. you know, they might, they, uh, your bonding may be, be stronger if you ask for one. And then the worst case scenario is they say, no, I can't help you. But still the love is there. So, um, you know, you have to be vulnerable and ask for help. How do people find you, Ken Honda? Thank you for asking. Um, you can find me at kenhonda.com. I started this uh, Arigato Living Community uh, for English speakers. I have one of the uh, largest online salons in Japan, and uh, I studied the same. We have about a few hundred people uh, from 20 different countries. Well, we meet uh, once a month uh, and learn about happy money, and I teach uh, how to monetize your gifts and how to find one. So if you're interested in learning those, just uh, please come visit us at kenhonda.com. Well, we are going to have people visiting kenhonda.com from the Retire Sooner podcast. (laughs) Thank you. What you were able to teach the audience here today, I think is just so valuable. And I really am so appreciative of that. Thank you, Wes, for having me once again. I'm, I'm just sending all my love and appreciation and blessings to you all. Thank you. See you soon. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.